let's pray together. And our speaker is going to come, Mr. Richard Stepanik, and he's going to open up God's word with us. Let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you so much that your son, Jesus, is coming back again. And what a glorious day it's going to be. What a glorious day. Father, sin's going to be eradicated. He's going to make all things right. You're going to be uplifted and glorified. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in anticipation, expectation of that day. That it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that we purify ourselves in light of your coming. That you're going to make all things right. And Lord, we just pray for our speaker as he comes that you would help us to uh, listen, to be attentive, that you would do your work and you would help us to be sure and be uh, to stand on your authoritative word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Richard, why don't you come and share God's word with us? Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Richard Stepanik. I work with Alpha Omega Institute. And Alpha Omega is based in Grand Junction, Colorado. And if you don't know where Grand Junction is, I think most of you probably know where Denver is at. You just travel straight west on I-70. You go over the Rockies, which is a very beautiful drive. And when you come out of the Rockies into the valley there, you'll come into Grand Junction. And what we do there is we study science. We do scientific research, and then we take this information. We travel throughout the world teaching the good news that Jesus Christ is the Creator and He's also the Savior. Now, we teach that the earth is young, a few thousand years old. There's a worldwide flood that happened about four to 5,000 years ago. And that God created everything in six literal days and then rest one literal day. And we use science and the Bible to support what we teach. Now, there's three main speakers. Actually, there's four. We have a new gentleman that joined. But the first three main speakers at one time were all evolutionists. I used to be a theistic evolutionist. I used to believe that God used evolution to create. But then when I start studying true science, we're talking true science, not the philosophical evolution, but true science, I rejected evolution and theistic evolution. So I believe that God, again, created everything in a few days and the earth is young. Now we have the founder and director of Alpha Omega. He used to also be a theistic evolutionist until he studied true science. And then we also have another gentleman named Lanny Johnson, and he was an atheist. Then he went to an Alpha Omega Institute seminar. Dave Netting opened his eyes to all this information for creation, and he quit his job, and he goes around teaching creation. So that's basically Alpha Omega Institute. We're a small ministry. And if you want to know more about Alpha Omega Institute, you can go to our website at discovercreation.org. And I'm really excited this week, because I'm going to be teaching about you know, some of my favorite topics. My favorite one is just teaching about God and the great things he's done. I also teach about the origin of man. We'll be showing some of our distant relatives like Uncle Harry and Lucy and all them. And we'll look at them. Are they really our distant relatives or are we made in the image of God? And I'll be talking about dinosaurs. Now dinosaurs are some of the most interesting things to teach on. When I was a little kid, you know what I like to play with? Dinosaurs. Then when I grew up, do you know what I like to play with? Dinosaurs, yes. And I bring my toys with me now. We'll get, I got my main toys. They're still in the car. I still have them in there. I brought my dinosaurs with me. We'll be talking about dinosaur claws. We'll also be talking about this thing right here. This belongs to a dinosaur. If you don't know what this is, you'll have to come this week. I'll be talking about what this is. It belongs to a dinosaur. We'll be talking about dinosaur eggs. 
I've got, I've got a replica of an over-raptor egg. You know, some people wonder, did dinosaurs go on board the ark? Yes. God brought two of every kind of dinosaur on board the ark. And so dinosaurs went on board the ark, but how did he get them on the ark? There's a replica of an over-raptor egg. Dinosaur eggs were very small. They weren't always big. So we're going to be talking about dinosaurs, and we'll also talk about the T-Rex. I've got a T-Rex tooth here, if I can just find it. There we go. Yeah, teeth like that, they had to be ferocious, meat-eating creatures, right? In the beginning, everything ate plants. So we'll talk about teeth. Just because you have sharp teeth, does that mean you have to be a ferocious, meat-eating creature? No. It only means that you have sharp teeth. That's it. So, we're going to be talking about that this week, and we'll talk about dragons. Some of you heard about dragons. What are they? Do they exist? Oh, yeah, dragons exist. I've got a picture of a dragon skull. They call them Draco Rats. Yeah, we'll look at dragons this week, and we'll look at stars and all kinds of other things. But I need to get going this morning. We're going to be talking about refuting compromise. Compromising the Bible with a philosophy of evolution. Evolution is a philosophy, and we will talk about that today and this week. Now, Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Is there a lack of scientific knowledge in the world today? Yes. Big time. A lot of people don't even know what science is. A lot of people don't even know what the limitations of science are. No. The question is, do scientists know everything? Of all the information in the world, in the universe, all the information, how much do you think we really know? Yeah, you got it right. That's about it. Humans know very little. We think we know a lot. You know what happens? As I study more about science, the more I study, the more I realize I don't know hardly anything at all. It's a vicious circle. Genetics. I mean, genetics is just exploding before our eyes. What I was taught in college is no longer true today. I mean, it's mind-boggling when you get to genetics. No way it happened by chance and accident. If, if the genes came about by chance and accident, scientists are not very smart. Did you know that? Because if dumb dirt and blind chance can put you together with no intelligence needed, and we can't duplicate it, we can't make life from dirt, what does it tell about scientists? Think about it. If dumb dirt and blind chance can put you together with no intelligence, that means man is dumber than dirt and blinder than chance. No scientist should believe in evolution. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. And we go through, we'll go through that this week. And is there a lack of biblical knowledge in the world today? Well, there is. Darwin was ignorant of the Bible. But because of ignorance, a lot of people make mistakes today. And well, again, we'll talk about that this week. Now, this is what I was taught growing up through high school and college. This is what I used to believe until I started studying true science. But I was taught all the matter in the world was in one place. Some say the size of an egg. Some say it was much smaller than that. And the question is, where did that egg come from? Cosmic chicken, right? Is that where they come from? But then where did the chicken come from? Well, we're going to talk about that here this morning. Well, then this egg was supposed to explode, produce everything we see today. That's what they used to teach, but they no longer believe in that. The new theory is this. And they also taught me in college that there was no need for God. This all can happen by natural chance processes that you could come to be and so on. Well, the new theory is this. In the beginning, there was nothing. We're talking absolutely nothing. There was no time, no space, no matter. We're talking 
Nothing. Zero. Then there was an on-cause cause that caused this nothing to do something. And boom. A lot of energy was released. Expansion. It was so hot. It actually, all there was was energy. All the matter was melted to subatomical particles. And this is what they call the Big Bang. And from that bang, you came to be after billions of years of time. Now, do Big Bangs make things? I don't know. Ask somebody in the military. See if they... Big bangs make things. But then after this big bang, that energy began to cool. Some of that energy changed into matter. And then this hydrogen gas came together to form stars. Stars came together to form that of galaxies. Some of these stars aged and exploded, making heavier elements. This is what I was taught. There's problems with that. But then our solar system came to be. Then the Earth came to be. And then about three and a half billion years ago, life began to evolve on this planet. And then after millions of years, you came to be. That's basically evolution. We're going to cover that, just in case you don't know what evolution is. And I was taught that chemicals of the earth, plus the energy from lightning, UV light, and heat from volcanoes, combine these chemicals into more complex molecules, which we call biochemical evolution. Then these chemicals came together to form the first life. This is what we call abiogenesis, or spontaneous generation. Then this first life, this amoeba or whatever, evolved in the fish kind, amphibian kind, reptile kind, mammal, ape man came in, and then finally into modern you. This is what we call macroevolution. Now, if you want to understand evolution, or just so you don't forget, is there's a little saying that helps you to remember what evolution is. Evolution right down here, this is what we call goo. And up here, I call this you. Now, where do you go to see a lot of nice little creatures all in one place? In the zoo. Darwinian evolution is from goo to you by way of the zoo. That is evolution. When I'm talking about evolution, that is what I'm talking about. Now, when I'm talking about evolution, I'm not talking the biblical, scientific, microevolution of just variations within the kind. Darwinian evolution is one kind of creature changing into a completely different kind of creature. That is Darwinian evolution. Most people teach biblical, scientific, microevolution, but that's not Darwinian evolution. That's biblical. We're going to talk more about that. Well, the evolutionary timeline is this. About 13, 14 billion years ago, the Big Bang happened. Then about, oh, 4.6 billion years ago, the sun and earth began to form. And then life began to evolve about three and a half billion years ago. And then over millions of years, creatures evolved in one creature into another creature until we get to roughly about three million years ago. Then modern man began to evolve. And then that brings us up to modern day. So according to evolution, there was no written history until the last few thousand years. So all this is prehistoric. Nobody was there to see this happen, and so on. We just have observational evidence right here. Now we take a look at the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is the first cause. God caused everything. See, in science, we have this law of cause and effect. We look for effects, and we try to find out what causes effect. That's basically the foundation for science. So you have to have a cause. So the first cause is God, and you know the whole thing with science, physics. I can tell you a lot about God without even reading the Bible, just looking at physics. That's in another talk. That's in my Genesis series. But God is the first cause, and he made everything, and he started making everything and creating everything about 6,000 years ago, give or, give or take a few thousand years. Then he made everything and created everything in six days. 
Then about 4,000 years ago, there was a worldwide flood, caused a lot of destruction. That's where our geology comes from that we see today. And then right after the flood was the Ice Age. People wonder, what is the Ice Age? That happened right after the flood. You know, up in Minnesota, I used to live in Minnesota before I moved to Colorado. In Minnesota, we know a lot about ice and snow. We go through a mini Ice Age every winter. Yes, and so, you know, another ice age cannot happen today. You have to have the right conditions to have an ice age. Right after the flood would have been perfect for an ice age. Because what's interesting in Minnesota is during the summertime, it gets very, very hot. You know, when I ask, tell people, I'm usually, I was originally from Minnesota, I said, oh man, isn't it cold up there? In wintertime it is, but in the summertime it's very hot. All the snow and ice melts away. So you have to have the right conditions to have an ice age. Then about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked on this planet and then brings us up to the modern day. I've got to modernize this. I'm getting a little behind here. But when we take a look at the creation timeline, right from the beginning, we have history. We have written history right from the start. So when we take a look at Scripture, is there any such thing as prehistoric time? No, there's no such thing as prehistoric time. Because right from the beginning, what? From Right from the beginning of time, Genesis 1.1, do we have written history? Yes, do we know what happened in the past? Yeah, we do. People were there, they wrote down the information, they left, us, left it for us so we can read, so we know what happened in the past. We don't have to guess, we know. Yeah, so we got an advantage there. So as we look at these two scenarios, the Big Bang with evolution, Big Bang always puts man at the end. After billions of years after the Big Bang, man finally evolved. We take a look at creation. Man was right there in the beginning. Man was made just a few days after God started making the universe, so man was there in the beginning. So there's a big difference of man being in there at the end and man being there in the beginning. Can they both be true at the same time? No, not according to the laws of logic. One of them has to be false. We're going to take a look at that here this morning. Now, where do we find evolution? Well, we find evolution in evolutionary textbooks. These, written by, these books are written by sinners that don't know everything, that are fallible, and these books continue to change. Now, when I was in high school, they taught me some things about evolution. By the time I got to college, some of that stuff I was taught in high school was no longer true. Now, some of the stuff that I was taught true to be true about evolution in college is no longer true today. So when they're teaching you about evolution, is it really true? Because tomorrow it may be what? False. Evolution is always changing. They're always disproving it. They always got to come up with new stuff. But where do we find creation? It's written in God's word, also in science. Now, God is, knows everything. He's not a sinner. He's perfect. He's infallible. We find creation here. This book doesn't change at all. And so here we find evolution, a book that always changes. Here we find creation. That book doesn't change. But when people try to, when people try to mix the two together, which we'll talk about, one of them has to get changed. Now, the modern evolutionary philosophy started, you know, kind of like in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Why do I say modern evolutionary philosophy? Evolution is nothing new. Darwin did not come up with a concept of evolution. You can trace evolution all the way back to the Romans and the Greeks. You can trace it back to the Sumerians, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians. They all believed in evolution. And using scripture, you can even trace back evolution even back even further than that, before the Sumerians. Yes, scripture talks about evolution, tells us who started it, tells us a bunch of details about it, which is interesting. That's in another one of my talks. So the modern evolutionary philosophy started here, and what they did was, is you can believe Genesis, but just don't believe the literal six days and a few thousand years. We showed evidence that the earth is millions or billions of years old, so they start stretching Genesis from the six days. 
And then Charles Darwin came along and said, if geology takes millions and millions of years, if it takes millions of years to make canyons, well, maybe biology takes millions and millions of years. Slow and gradual changes over a lot of time, you know, goo can evolve into you. Has to go through the zoo first, but... So with this, they started undermining scripture. This is what I was taught in college. Evolution is science, and all well-educated people believe in... Evolution. If you believe in creation, you're ignorant and stupid and common. Well, do people want to be ignorant, stupid, and common? Oh, no. They want to be what? Scientific. So you have to believe in evolution. Well, if you want to understand what's going on here, is you have to read a book called The Emperor's New Clothes. Are you all familiar with Emperor's New Clothes? Okay. If you're not, that's okay. I'm going to go through. This is actually, this is where it's at. If you understand this, you've got it. You understand what's going on in colleges High school. What is this book about? Well, this emperor, he just loves clothes. He's always buying the latest fashions. He always wants new clothes. He wants clothes that other people don't have, but then everybody follows his fashion and so on. Well, he's getting sick and tired of his old clothes. He wants something new, something that nobody else has. Don't you want to be like that, something new that somebody else doesn't have? No. So these con artists, king doesn't know they're con artists or swindlers, but they figure up a scheme. King wants new, new clothes. Let's give him new clothes. That nobody else has. So they come up here and they tell the king, King, we have just developed a new way to make a new fabric which we can use this cloth to make you new clothes. Nobody else has. Nobody else owns this. Nobody knows how to make this fabric. Is the king excited? You better believe it. Get new clothes nobody else has? Yeah, he's excited. So he pays these people a lot of money. Gives them a room, gives them looms. They're back in there. They're working away. The king's really excited. So he sends one of his noblemen down there to where these people are working. And he comes in there, he doesn't see any cloth on the looms. But these con artists, they tell this nobleman, only well-educated, noble people can see the clothes. If you're uneducated and ignorant and common, you can't see the clothes. Well, he's educated and noble, so that means there must be cloth. So he says, oh yeah, the cloth looks good. These people, he thinks these people see it. They're just common and ignorant. If they see it, it must be there. So he goes back to the king and says, King, you're going to love those clothes because that material is really nice. Well, now he's really excited, so he sends more noblemen down there to check out the process. They already know that only well-educated noble people can see the clothes. If you're ignorant and common, you can't see the clothes. So the first nobleman saw it. Two workers see it, so it must be there, right? They don't want to be known as common and ignorant. So they say, oh, king, the cloth, the cloth is great. So then it comes time for the king to see the clothes. Who is the most educated, most noble person in the whole kingdom? The king. If all these other people see it, it must exist, right? The king says the clothes are great. So they go out into his kingdom to show off his new clothes. Nobody else has them. Well, people know that only well-educated, noble people can see the clothes. Nobody wants to be known as common and ignorant, do they? So they say, king, your clothes are great. Until a child. He doesn't care what people think about him. He hollers out, the king is naked. Now the con has been exposed. You know what's the saddest part of the whole thing? In this book, they do not stop. They continue on with the parade because now they don't want to lose face. Face. Are you with me here? Yes. I'm sorry, people. You've got somebody that's common and ignorant as your speaker. I don't see evolution. 
Question. Have we ever observed dead things evolving into living things? Have we ever observed something dead evolve into something living? No. You know it's so well established that dead things do not evolve into living things. There's a law called the law of biogenesis that life only comes from life. That means the first life on this planet had to come from an eternal living being. Is that what the Bible says? Exactly. You know, the Bible is so scientific. To believe in evolution, you have to reject science. Did you know that? Because you have to reject the law of biogenesis. Because to believe in evolution, you have to believe dead things evolve into living things. And that's never been observed. Has anyone ever observed one kind of creature change into a completely different kind of creature? What do bacteria always change into? Bacteria. All bacteria do is this. A scientific statement found in Genesis. It's called, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's all bacteria do. Do they do it very well? So do rabbits. Guess what rabbits stay? We're going to talk about that this week. Rabbits always stay rabbits. Everything follows God's mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They just, they just adapt to their environment. That's all they do. That's what the Bible talks about. Have we ever observed one kind of creature change into a completely different kind of creature or family of creature? We have never observed evolution. Did you know that? Never. People are seeing things that don't exist. Is it easy to fool people? You better believe it. You know, I can fool people. I've got another program called We Walk by Faith, Not by Sight. I can make you see things that aren't there. It'll be right on. You'll look at the screen, you'll swear it's there, but it doesn't, it's not there. I'll make you see things that aren't there. I can make you not see things that are there. I can make things disappear before your eyes. They are there, but you will not see them. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's a whole other talk. Only well-educated, noble people can see the clothes or evolution. It doesn't cost much to to educate people. Did you know that? It costs a lot to indoctrinate people. If you try to make them see something that's not there, that costs a lot of money. Yes. Romans one twenty two. professing themselves to be wise, they became... That is so true. Is it easy to fool people? Especially when they become puffed up with pride. Knowledge does what? Puffs up. Once people become prideful, it's very easy to deceive them. So we take a look at these two books. Evolution is constantly changing, but a lot of people want to be noble and... Scientific, so they want to compromise this with this. Well, when you compromise these two together, actually they compromise this with this, when they try to add these two together, which one gets changed? The Bible, this, was, this book doesn't change, but this book is constantly changing. But when they mix the two together, this is what gets compromised. This is what's being taught in most of the uh, seminaries today. Theology 101, Dr. Brown, talk about Genesis. It's not what Genesis says that's important, it's only what it means. Well, if it doesn't say anything, I don't think it can mean anything. And if we apply that to our driving, I know what it says, Dr. Brown, but what does it mean? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean what it says. If it doesn't mean what it says or it says what it means, then you can make stop mean anything you want. And they drive like that down in Mexico. How many of you have been down in Mexico? <laughs> a number of years ago, I was in Mexico City, and I was with this guy. He was driving. We were in this little Volkswagen Beetle. And right, when you see a red light, what does that mean? Stop, that's what I thought. So we stopped to this red light, and I saw, I count them, seven cars. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Then there's a police cop. Car went by. Zoom. I thought I see some red lights. No red lights. Then I got thinking, maybe red lights don't mean stop. Maybe they mean go. And green means stop. I don't know. But if you think they drive bad in Mexico, you haven't seen anything until you go to India. That is a whole nother experience. I mean, Wow. There is a first, first day in India. 
I'm driving on this four-lane highway. I wasn't driving. Somebody else was. I don't want to drive in India. We're on this four, and I see all these cars swerving like this. And I thought, what in the world? And we got up there. Here was a cow laying right in the middle of this inner freeway, four-lane highway, right there. Cows have the right-of-way in India. Yes. Temples. They put temples right on five, ten-lane highways. Temple right in the middle. I mean, it's crazy over there. But uh, the interesting part is we were up, I got up early. We were going to a, a place I was going to teach. I wasn't driving. We were headed out there, traffic. You know, you got, you got cows mingled in with people and bikes and motorcycles and cars and trucks and buses. They're all mixed. They all travel together. And there's traffic all over. And we came up to this red light and my driver wasn't slowing down. And we were coming closer. There's traffic coming in and we weren't stopping. And I looked at the driver. I said, hey, there's a red light there. You know what he said? We don't stop at red lights at this time in the morning. do very terrible in India because I wouldn't know when to stop and when to go. Wow. Yeah. And then with all this of reinterpreting Genesis, then it's no longer a worldwide flood. It's a local flood. It's theistic evolution. And God used evolution to create day-age theory. They're not literal days and on and on and on. So refuting compromise, compromising the Bible with the philosophy of evolution. Well, we're going to take a look at the day-age theory this morning. At Sunday school, we went through the gap theory, which is Basically taught in, in India. i got to undermine gap theory before I ever start talking about Genesis. Literal Genesis makes no sense over there on, because they believe in the gap theory. I spent an hour and a half on a verse trying to get the meaning across because they didn't understand it because of the gap theory. So i got to undermine that first. And then most of the teaching, this is what I used to believe in, theistic evolution or progressive creation, basically the same thing. But we're going to take a look at the day-age theory. The day-age theory basically teaches the creation days are seen as long ages where God created by evolutionary processes. That these are not literal days. These are long periods of time. Maybe thousands of years or millions of years. Yes. And uh, you go to 2 Peter chapter 3.8. And they will say, Rich, but look at 2 Peter. You know, they will tell you, a day is like a thousand years. Now, God is a God of order, is he not? When you read his word, you have to read it in an orderly way. You just don't read it any way you want. God is a God of order, not of chaos. So i got to be consistent in my reading of Scripture. So one day is a thousand years. That means every time you come up with one day, what does it really mean? A thousand years. Okay. What do you do with this verse? Jonah one seventeen. And Jonah was in the belly of the well for, or the fish for three days and three nights. It doesn't mean three days, does it? It means... 3,000 years. No wonder the Ninevites got saved. I could say pretty, I could say pretty fast too. Some fish belt out a man that was in there 3,000 years. That is a big miracle. Does it mean 3,000 years? It means what it says. Yeah, then we go to this one, Joshua. Joshua is commanded by God to march around the city of Jericho one time for six days, and then the seventh day he was supposed to march around seven times. Now, six days doesn't mean six days, does it? It means 6,000 years, add another day, 7,000 years. Joshua's wasting, Joshua's wasting his time. You know, he's still marching around Jericho today. It's not been 7,000 years since he's got this command. You know, Jericho's already fallen. He's really wasting his time. Yeah. Does it mean 6,000 years? It means what it says. Yeah. But a lot of people, they just go from one day is 1,000 years and they stop. What does the next phrase say? A thousand years is really what? So every time you come across a thousand years, it really means what? One day. Well, let's take a look at Adam. Adam, Adam lived to be 930 years old. 
He's just a few years short of being a thousand years old. So that means he did not quite live to be a thousand years old. And a thousand years really means what? That means Adam did not quite live to be a day old. According, if you use their logic. Adam died on the same day he was created. He named the animals. The woman was made from his side. And he also had sons and daughters. Wow, busy man. Probably not as busy as the woman, but boy, this was he did a lot of stuff on that day. Yeah. The key here is with the Lord. Not to us. We're locked into days and thousand years, but there God's not. Who created time? God. In the beginning. Beginning is a reference to time. God created time. That means he's outside of time. That means to a day or a thousand years is all the same to him. Because he sees everything in the present. Did you know that? He's, he's in the, he, he knows all your thoughts, past, present, future. He knows everything. Because he's, he's not locked into time. So you might say, according to scripture, once upon a time, there was a time where there was no time. Was there a time when there was no time? Yeah, before Genesis 1-1, there was no time. God created it. When you read scripture, you always have to read it in its... What's the context of Peter? Is it creation? Or is it judgment? It's judgment. Peter's talking about future judgment of a wicked generation. Peter's writing that God is going to destroy mankind when he wants to and not when we should. Because if I was God, I think everybody would be toast a long time ago because I would not be as long-suffering as God. I'm glad God's God and I'm not God. Yes. The whole context is judgment and God's going to destroy this wicked, evil world when he wants to and not when we should. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's look at the word day, which is the word yom in Scripture. Now, the word yom does have different meanings according to its context. It can mean a day as opposed to the night. It can mean a 24-hour period, which is both night and day. Or it can mean days or a lifetime. Depends on the context. I'll give an example. Genesis 26.1. In the days of Abraham. So does this word day, yom, mean a literal day in this context? No, it means the time that Abraham was on this planet. Just like in the days of Noah. when he was on this. You can't stretch this word yom to be millions and billions of years. It's in the time when somebody was on this planet. We go on. If God wanted to use time periods for Genesis, there's other words that would have been much better. Season, time. This doesn't mean day. It means a time or event and so on. So this probably would have been better. But God did not use this word. He used the word yom. Every time you use a number to modify the word yom in Scripture over 300 times, it always means a literal Day. Three days in the belly of the fish, six days to march around Jericho, and the seventh day. So we see in Scripture that God repeats himself seven times. Got day one, day two, all the way up through the seventh day. So seven times God repeats himself that these are literal days. Yes. So this is used one time, but he repeats it seven times. We go on. Every time evening and morning is used with the word yom, it describes what that word is. What, we have how many evenings in a day? One. How many mornings do we have in a day? One evening, one morning equals one. One day. He does that six times. So now two different ways, 13, diff, or 13 times repeating himself that these are literal days. But God doesn't stop there. He goes on. Every time light and day and darkness and night is used with the context of the word yom, it means what? means a day. We've got one part light and one part darkness in a day, right? Isn't that one day? It's not a month, is it? It's not a year, is it? 
It's one day. Yes, that's done twice. So three different ways, 15 times, God repeats himself that these are literal days. But God doesn't stop there. He goes on. Light and day and darkness and night. What time period is one part darkness and one part light? What time period is that? That's a day. It's not a month and it's not a year. Because they got multiple nights and multiple days. So this is, and Jesus Christ said too, and Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? There's 12 hours of lightness and 12 hours of darkness, roughly 24 hours. This night and day and darkness and night and so on is mentioned on day one and day four. Light and darkness, day and night are mentioned at least four times on each one of these days. Why would God only do it on day one and day four? That's the only two days he does this. What did God make on day four? Anybody remember? Sun, moon, and stars. On day one, two, and three, there was no sun, moon, and stars. God is comparing day four when he makes the sun on the same as day one when he wasn't no sun. Is the time period of day four, five, and six the same as day, days one, two, and three? Yes, that's what God's telling us. Same time frame. Even though there's no sun, it's the same time frame. Yeah, so he does that eight times. Four in day one, four times in day four. Four different ways, 23 times he repeats himself. But God doesn't stop there. He keeps repeating himself. Why do you think he keeps repeating himself over and over again? Is he trying to put, give us a point that these are literal days? He wants to do it over and over again. Because man is not very what? Smart. Smart. (laughs) Why do you think he calls us sheep? My original occupation was farming. Yeah. Sheep are not very... No. They need a lot of care. Yeah. Now as we go on, he doesn't stop there, he continues on. Evening and morning. What does that evening and morning describe? Day. Evening means evening, night when the you know, sun set. Morning means basically when the sun comes up. What time period do we have one evening and one morning? What do we call that? It's a day. Well, he does that six times. Five different ways, repeating himself. 29 times that these are literal what? Is he trying to get a point across? Should we listen? Yes. I remember my dad when he repeated himself. It always meant rich... You listen to me? If I did not listen, you know what would happen? Bad things would happen right here in the middle of my back. Was I a quick learner? Very quick learner. Yes. So when God repeats himself, I sit up and take notice. He is trying to tell me something. That these are literal days. And it's very important that we understand that. Where do we get the weak? It doesn't come from the motions of the heavenly host. It only comes from Scripture. The day roughly comes from the earth rotating on its axis, the month roughly from the moon going around the earth, and the year from the earth going around the sun. But where do we get the week? It only comes from Scripture. It's in Genesis. It's also in Exodus and other parts. Now in Exodus chapter 20, God is giving the Israelites the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments deals with the Sabbath day. Verses 9 through 11. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day. Now, did God tell the Israelites to work 6,000 years and then rest a thousand years? Is that what he told the Israelites? No. Why did he tell the Israelites to work six days and rest the seventh day? Why did he, t- why did he tell the Israelites that? The reason why is right here. Verse 7 or 11. 4. 4 connects this to that. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. 
Why were they to work six days and rest the seventh day? Because God did his work in how many days? Six days. And how many days did he rest? One day. The whole seven-day week is modeled after Genesis. That's where we get the week. Yes. Now, does God know how to write? Does he know how to write? He wrote that, by the way. He wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger of God. He's very good at writing. Exodus 31 talks about the Sabbath day throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. So we have a day here that's a perpetual covenant. Why is this Sabbath day a perpetual covenant? We're talking Israel now because it is a sign. Sign of what? That God created everything in six days and rested the seventh day. It is a sign. Why did God not want the Israelites to forget creation in Genesis? Because you know why? If the Israelites forget God as their creator, what were they going to fall into? Sin. Then what would God have to do with them? Kick them out of the promised land. It's exactly what happened. Once a nation forgets God as their creator, you know what's going to happen to that nation? Yes. Look at, you study Nazi Germany, that is a nation that rejected God. Yeah. So we take a look at this. Now, God made plants on day three. He made the sun on day four. If these were long periods of time, where was the energy coming for photosynthesis if the sun wasn't made until thousands or millions of years after God made the plants? Because what do plants need? Sun, I used to farm. Yeah, you don't get a lot of good sun, you don't get a lot of good plants. Yes. And how many of you like to eat? Yeah, I like to eat the plants. I like to eat the animals that eat the plants. Yes, without the sun, we don't get plants, and without plants, we don't get to eat. But God made the sun after he made the plants. Now, if I was God, I think I would do it a little bit different. Wouldn't you want to have the sun in place first, so then make the plants? Doesn't that make sense? I think so, but I'm not God. This is the way he did it. Why would God make the sun after he made plants? I don't know for sure, but this is what I think. If you study the pagan philosophies of the past, and also some of the pagan philosophies taught in college today, what is one thing life needs, or where did life come from? Came from the sun. That's exactly what it was taught. Light shining on the elements of the earth can put them together to make you. Does the sun create life? No, you know what the sun does? Basically destroys life, except for plants mostly. You know, they're high-tech machines to make plant food so we can eat. Yes, the sun is not God. The sun does not create things. God wants to set the record straight. That sun is not the creator. Who is the creator? Of life. God is. God created life, but then he makes the sun. As a reminder that sun doesn't make life. Just gives the energy for plants to work. Now I've got a question for you. See if you're awake. I like to quiz my students. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken did. Now when I was an evolutionist, you know I couldn't answer that? Actually as an evolutionist, you know how the chicken and the egg got here? Reptiles would lay eggs and out of the eggs would hatch chickens. What are you laughing at? It's called the hopeful monster theory back in the 1930s. Goldschmidt, they couldn't find missing links, so he came up with this. And then Stephen Gould, he came up with another one called uh, punctuated equilibrium. Since they couldn't find the missing links, there was no evidence for it. So he said basically over a few thousand years, alligators will lay eggs and not would hatch chickens. So the egg came first, then the chicken, according to evolution. But according to scripture, God made mature chickens, and then they, they laid eggs, which has more chickens. Yeah. So we take a look at this. God did not make babies, did he? He made fully human beings. And I have another question for you. How old was Adam when he was one second old? He was one second old. I gave you the answer. How old did he look when he was one second old? You know how old he looked when he was one second old? 
56 years old. Did you know that? How do I know that? Because I'm 56 years old. (laughs) Somebody got it in the first session, so we started laughing. But that's okay. We're just a little slower budge this morning. That's fine. But no. He looked fully mature. How old was the universe after six days? Six days. Was it a fully mature universe? Yes. Did it have a look of age? No. Age is in the eye of the beholder. It was a fully mature operating universe. Yes. And the babies didn't plant seeds and then have to wait for a few months until the seeds ripen so they can eat. Everything was fully mature because animals were going to be there on day five and animals on day six and man on day six. They needed something to eat. So everything was fully mature and operational. So God made a fully mature universe. Now there's an equation in physics called power equals worker joules over time. When you increase time, what happens to power? Decreases. So if you add millions and billions of years to God's creation, what, does you, what do you do to his power? Diminishes it. Do you change God's character when you add evolution to his word? You better believe it. You change his character. That's not a good thing. But if you decrease time, what happens to power? Increase. Now, God didn't need six days, but he did it for a reason, so we could work six days and have one day of rest. As a reminder of God is creator. Now, if you turn this time to zero, what happens to power? Infinite. Is God infinite in power? Yes, he is. Isn't that cool? I can tell you a lot of things about God just using physics. Because nature gives evidence who God is. But if you really want to understand who God is, read his word. You will understand who he is. And if you seek him, you will find him. Because God will reveal himself to you. And we talked about the gap theory in Sunday school class. We won't, we're going to stop right here. So if you miss Sunday school class, just talk to someone who is in Sunday school class. I can tell you all about gap theory and progressive creation.